0: Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. My name is Crystal Fall, I'm the Deputy Editor of Film and TV Craft at IndieWire, and my guest today is Peter Gould, the co-creator and showrunner of Better Call Saul. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Apple TV Plus original documentary, Beastie Boys story. Beastie Boys Mike Diamond and Adam Horowitz tell you an intimate personal story of their band and 40 years of friendship in this live documentary experience directed by their longtime friend and collaborator, director Spike Jones. The film reunites Beastie Boys with Spike over 25 years after he directed their immortal uh, single, Sabotage. Wow. 25 years. Seems like yesterday. Such a great music video. And this is a great movie. It's four-year Emmy consideration in all eligible categories, including Outstanding Documentary or or nonfiction special visit fyc.appletvplus.com I really like this film a lot more than I expected and uh you know while I'm plugging it I might as well plug the podcast uh recommend that you go back a couple episodes and listen to my conversation with Spike and his editor uh, Jeff Buchanan it was a lot of fun just so I have my orientation the season four is the first one that you guys did without Vince and that you were the the sole showrunner right is that correct well so it's sort of really
1: Vince stepped away uh before we commenced production on mm-hmm. season 3 actually okay. so he was there he was there in the writers room for roughly the first half of season 3 and then right sort of at the beginning of season 3 when we were shooting uh, uh pretty early on I I I had to take the trip to Albuquerque to let the cast know that uh the, the day they all dreaded had finally come yeah. and uh and I was I was the guy in charge <laughs> you know, so solely in charge I should say
0: let let's talk a little bit about um what that actually means in terms of your responsibilities uh, as as the showrunner because you know you directed uh the last episode of season 5 And my guess is, and I think I even maybe read this in an interview, you probably just even stepping away from the day-to-day of being a showrunner probably creates an enormous void just in the fact that you have your hands in so much of the progression of every episode, um, not obviously in the writing room, but also in terms of production and then post, right? So that it's almost almost like you have to walk away from this massive job to even... And I think people would naturally think, oh, of course, it's... You know, Peter showing the show he, he directed one, but I imagine it's a it's a huge deal, right? It is. It is. It's it's tricky. Uh, it, you know, when we talk about show
1: running, uh, there's a million ways to do the job, yeah. and there there are people. You know, I, I'm always I'm in awe of somebody uh, like Sam Ismail, who who must have a completely different. And I don't. I've only met him once. I don't know what the story is, but he's he he directed every episode of yep. some seasons of of, of uh, Mr. Robot. Um, And and so I don't know how he does that. That's just, it's just a different, he must have a completely different approach to the job because uh, you know, the, the, yeah, it's, it's stepping away. That's really why uh, I've tended to direct towards the end of the season uh, and I'd love to, it would be fun for me and I'd love to direct one at, at the head of a season, mm-hmm. but it just never, it never works out. Cause for, for do to do that, I have to step out of the writer's room and step away from editing. And, uh, you know, it's all, uh, it's all a big, uh, a conveyor belt. It's a big assembly line. the minute I step away, uh, the, the stuff, stuff piles up. And that's not to say, that's not to say that, I mean, everybody I work with, I work with a fantastic group of people yeah. uh, a fantastic group of collaborators but I wouldn't be doing my job if if um if I didn't look at everything and and make sure that it's just it's it's working to my eye as best as best as best as I can express that so uh yeah it's it's um it you know it all gets filtered through uh a sensibility uh, a couple of people's sensibility and uh it it, yeah it it holds things up when i direct for sure Mm -hmm. uh but i love doing it and i think there's there's a lot of benefits uh to showrunners directing uh for one thing it keeps you maybe a little bit humble because it's you know when you're sitting in the editing room you know frequently you can't help it frequently you say well why didn't they get this why didn't they get that why did why did that happen that way And then when you're when you're actually on the floor and you're you're directing an episode, it reminds you of uh, what an immense struggle it is uh, to try to to get to get uh, to get the show uh, shot uh, the way we're hoping it will be.
0: You did a wonderful job with um, episode 10. And we'll we'll come back to that. But I'm, I'm wondering if we could just, you know, I'm just really curious, like on a day to day basis, you know, prior to 10, obviously there's the whole scripts and there's there's adjustments that have to be made but while one is in produ- when one show is in episode is in production and one episode is starting to be edited and and maybe you're starting to tweak a little bit for two episodes down the line, what what is your day-to-day? I mean, and one of the reasons I say this is that obviously you have a wonderful team. Obviously there's been people that have been involved in this universe dating back to sometimes even before Saul who who, who can do things on their own. But I'm curious about because there is such a unified element of story here, you know, and you have to be, you're not the only person, but you have to be a guide of that. I'm wondering about that day to day while you're in production of of what well, your role is.
1: It, the great thing about this job uh, is that it doesn't stay the same. Mm-hmm. And every, there's, every day is a little different, but there are phases. And the uh, the most difficult point for me personally is when we're shooting the show, and we're also breaking stories. So the writers' room is open while uh, production is going. It's very tough to juggle everything, and what ends up happening is that we, our work in uh, figuring out the stories and breaking the stories, inevitably slows down when, once production started because there's there's uh, a million things going on, and you know our our we, our folks have. Have developed a method. Really, uh, Jen Carroll, uh, who is who is Vin- now a producer and, and, and used to be Vince's assistant, developed a system during Breaking Bad, which which really works well for uh, presenting uh, options and presenting what the what what's going on. So it doesn't interrupt. We don't get interrupted in the writers' room every four seconds uh but still it's it's i'm not the world's greatest multitasker (laughs) and i'm better i think most people really if when you get down to it you're better at focusing Mm. on one thing at any particular moment uh but it means it means that means it's just a very long day and you know part of all these jobs in in and so many jobs in the world it's um one of the things that's tough to sustain is your energy during the day and you have to be you have to be uh uh, you have to be aware of where you are in the day, and I think you know the people around me fortunately are all we're all aware of where we are in the day and and ha- and how we're uh, how we're doing but that's yeah it it's it's that's the toughest time is when we're you know we're probably what we tried to do in seasons where we had ten episodes we had as a guideline well, if we are breaking or if we're pretty much through breaking episode seven when we start shooting episode one. Okay, we're going to be all right. <laughs> we can finish. Uh, we're going to be all right. Uh, but that's, you know, that's... And now this season, uh, because we're, we started working on the final season, um, you know, we're going to do 13, uh, which we haven't successfully done in a long time. Breaking Bad, there were um, three seasons of 13. Uh, to, to my my view is that twice we did it, we pulled it off perfectly. Uh, but there was season two for various reasons. We ended up having uh, every show's nightmare, which is a shutdown for various. reasons. Oh, that was reasons. a writer's strike so, here, right? Is that well? That was the writer's strike. Yeah. Was actually season one. Oh, okay. And that was that's a whole that's, that's a, whole, a whole different that's, ball. A, that's a whole different <laughs> <whole, laughs> that's a whole different <laughs> whole different ballgame. But I'm just saying what I'm trying to say. It's a hmm. long winded way of saying I've never run the show uh, doing thirteen episodes, hmm. so uh, I'm a little jumpy about it.
0: Um, unfortunately, you might have some extra time. Uh, for... <laughs> well, yeah,
1: <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I hopefully, hopefully not. And, right. and, you know, I will say, uh, uh, well, I'm not, you know, it's j- jumpy is kind of a funny way to put it, but you know, it, it, part of what makes this work is uh, a lot of anxiety for whatever yeah. reason.
0: I'm curious, what do you have? Cause obviously your writer's room is open well before production what do you have in place before the first day of production in terms of the season? Um, Is it, is it all note carded out? Is it, is it kind of the big story beats are there? And I'm I'm curious what's in place. Um, Obviously writing is still, as you said, still going on, but, but you know, in terms of like, what's the base that you have before things start dispersing for production?
1: Sure. Um, You know, we have, as the season goes on we usually have a better idea of what's going to happen but when we commence production we generally have and this is the bottleneck we generally have seven episodes broken and when we say broken that means um basically uh we work with three by five cards on cork boards Mm -hmm. and that mean, and we spend a lot of time uh breaking each episode and it's it's also the 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 element in all this which is the most unpredictable Mm -hmm. because I can tell you, you know, most writers and uh, me among them, you know, I can write, uh, I can write a shootable script in, you know, roughly, you know, if I have to, I can do it in less than 10 working days. Uh, I'd rather have more. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we know that when we shoot an episode, you know, we know it's going to be a certain number of days under normal circumstances. Editing, you know, there's a certain amount of time that's set aside for that. But the breaking of the episodes can vary uh, at our best we We will uh, break an episode in two weeks, mm-hmm. but then you know if we get stuck or if something something's not quite right, it can take a lot longer than that. Uh, and having said that, so we usually start that we start production with several completed scripts. We usually have probably uh, we do very detailed outlines mm-hmm. uh, outlines that that a lot of the crew can actually prep off of. So there'll be a um, for a fifty page script, there may be a fourteen page outline. And so uh, we will probably have outlined, you know, five episodes, which is, frankly, it's plenty
0: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, for production to work on. You know, it's there's we try to give production uh, all the folks in Albuquerque as much of a heads up for anything big that we're thinking about. And sometimes there'll be something like, you know, we'll say, you know, late in the season, we'll say, hey, you know, uh, you know, we think Lalo's. Lalo's hacienda has a wall, a fourteen-foot wall topped with razor wire, all mm-hmm. around it. And uh, production will be happy to hear that, but they may be too busy yeah. trying to figure out how to shoot a desert <laughs> exterior uh, on stage uh, for episode eight. So it's it's um, there's there's a lot going on.
0: Will you have like for example, right now you're you're in the writers' room for for season six. Is the first conversation though? the arc of the season and where it's going like right now, are you talking about the end of, of Saul? Um, in that sense of like, now obviously what you just described is a very detailed breaking down of an episode, but big picture, are you first starting off with, okay, here's the arc of Jimmy. Here's, you know, here's the general area of where we're going to land. Here's our big kind of pole moments.
1: Uh, the, that is a way of working. Yes. We, the, the short answer is, Yeah, sure, we spend the first couple of weeks saying, so where do we think this is all going? Mm -hmm. But the truth is that it's very dangerous to get too attached to big ideas Mm -hmm. of where you're going in the season because the characters have to drive the story, not the other way around. You know, you have to, at least the way we work. uh, And I I know there are other ways of working. um, Mm -hmm. It's just for this particular show... This is how it seems to work and, and it say so also for breaking bad, we would often talk about you know a, a set piece or something exciting that we thought would crystallize mm-hmm. a conflict or an element of the show some big big you know a big shootout or a big confrontation and then find out that the characters just weren't ready for that <laughs> or they didn't do what we thought they mm-hmm. would do because the the discipline is the characters should and I I don't know if we always achieve this, but we sure as hell try, that characters' uh, behavior uh, has to make sense to us uh, moment by moment. That doesn't mean that there can't be mysteries about why people do what they do. But if there's a mystery, we've at least talked about what's (laughs) actually going on with the person. And the problem with, with thinking too far ahead is that you can try to force your character down a predetermined path. Uh, and, and general, and it's just generally something. So we have ideas, we have big ideas, and then we're always willing to jettison them. And usually what's happened in the past is that, that we've had a lot of big ideas and we don't quite get to them each season. And we always say, well, maybe, maybe that'll happen next season. That always makes me feel better. It's so, it's so fascinating. Really to like. There's
0: two reasons I find this fascinating to listen to you talk like this. One, we're talking about a show where, you know, you started off knowing where, <laughs> you know, like a certain point where Saul would be, where Mike would be and, and where Craig would be. So it's, it's funny to say, you know, it's interesting to even hear you talk about that in that sense, because you actually in the, at least in the future, kind of know where these people are and have written for them. And then, mm-hmm. and then there's also something, and I will never forget this. Yeah, I read a lot of interviews, and it's always fun learning about different things. But I'll be honest with you at this stage; rarely does someone say anything that genuinely shocks me. Like I was surprised by it. And one of the most distinct moments was for me was reading Vince after Breaking Bad say. I didn't have this all figured out. And I think for someone that had just watched Breaking Bad (laughs) and it felt like all the pieces fit together and you felt like you were in the hands of someone that like it felt like something that happened in episode two of season one was was so perfectly planted there for where where Walter White went that it was like it blew my mind that he not only had didn't have it structured out. It was like something that you guys the process doesn't sound too much different than what you're describing right now for Saul. it's just fascinating to me. It's not. There
1: is a trick. There is a trick. Uh, 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 And the trick is to don't not to always look forward to what happens next, but to look back Mm -hmm. and to take apart what you've already done and try to say, well, what what did that mean? Uh, You know, to ask yourselves, I mean, here's a. Here's a here's a crazy one that uh, you know we had this uh, chicken restaurant Poyos Hermanos mm-hmm. and we know Gus Spring runs this, and it's got a logo uh, with two chickens, chicken brothers, mm-hmm. which is you know doesn't in some ways chicken brothers because chickens are girls uh, mm-hmm. anyway um, doesn't make a lot of sense in his own way but uh, we asked ourselves it came up in the writers room well who's the other chicken brother. You know, if Gus is, if, who's the brother? And that led us to the idea that, that there was a backstory behind the, uh, behind this and why Gus would name this restaurant that way. Um, you know, with Mike, uh, you know, the beginning of Better Call Saul, we see that there's this guy who we've met later in life as the right-hand man to a, uh, a drug kingpin, uh, a cold, cold-blooded murderer. Is what Mike becomes but when we meet him on Better Call Saul he's you know the grouchy guy manning a uh, manning a a booth Mm -hmm. Uh, and we you know you, you put those things in you I know that means something but then the discipline is trying to understand what that means or to maybe even pick up a detail that was put into the show just to make the world feel more full and then take that as gospel and say well what if that's what does that mean? What would that? How would you project that into the future? What did that character? Why mm-hmm. did that character really do that at that moment? And and those are all, those are all. That's that's. I think that's the trick to making something that's that's. Um, and and you know we do talk ahead. I don't want to make it sound like oh, we I never know. do. Yeah, yeah. But but the uh, the trick is is to um, is to think in the is is to look backward. And I knew that was. I learned that in the Breaking Bad room, that that if there was one thing that would always bring a gleam to Vince's eye and maybe get the conversation going in an interesting way, is if someone picked out a detail uh, of an episode that we'd already done before and say, you know, I always wondered blank, 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 and that often ended up taking us a really interesting way. And of course, if you're building on something that's already in the show, uh, hopefully, Uh, What comes out of that feels very organic Uh, and so that's you know, I think that's it's 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 a non It's it's not an intuitive way to work Mm. Intuitively you think well, I want to figure out what happens next But very often what happens next has its origins in what happened before there you go Time is a flat circle is what I'm trying to say.
0: I'm curious working like that How often do you find yourself? Um, or do people in the writer's room find themselves going back and watching old episodes or even breaking bad? Uh, well, we have one of our, one of our mainstays
1: in the better call Saul writer's room is Ariel Levine, who was our uh, writer's assistant for a bunch of seasons. And now this season, she, she wrote the uh, season finale with me, mm-hmm. uh, for season five. And now she's, she's, uh, in our writer's room as a, as a full fret fledged writer. And we have a, a new writer's assistant. Um, and she makes it a practice uh, to watch all of Breaking Bad every year before we open the All game. of it. And so she watches the whole thing. You guys, hi- how, so why, how
0: long is your hiatus?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it takes us, well, it, it takes us a long time to shoot and post the show. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> right, yeah. all right, all right, all right. So the writers, the writers, <laughs> the writers, uh, the writers are off for, for a while. Oh, okay, there's no real, there's no enough. hiatus for... For some of us, enough, there's no hiatus. But yeah, so she watches the whole show and, uh, and so she always has it at her fingertips. And, and there's a lot of other people in the room and, mm-hmm. and associated with the show uh, who keep, uh, keep their finger on the pulse. There's, you know, there's something called a story calendar mm-hmm. that, that we keep, which tells you, at least in theory, what day everything happened on every episode and so you can go back and say well how long, how long did this take and mm-hmm. how long did that take and you can there's a, there's a lot of detail in there uh occasionally we miss something but it's it's uh keeping you you're absolutely and we watch scenes all the time in the writers room this is one of the things that really uh, hurts us about, uh, being, uh, working remotely because it's harder to do successfully remotely to watch a scene altogether. Everybody has to fire uh, up and press
0: play right at the same time. Sync the sync, the play button on the, uh, (laughs) that's what we should be doing.
1: But we've also watched things over zoom, which, and zoom has a lot of has, has, there's a lot to be said for zoom, but it's, it's for this purpose. It's not, it's not great (laughs) for us. Um, but it's it's a, it is. We watch scenes all the time and say we were just why there are characters we're thinking about bringing back for this season, mm-hmm. and they haven't been on for a while. So we watched all their scenes uh, in previous seasons, trying to figure out uh, you know where where their heads are at or if there's something. And it surprised me. There were things about uh, the performances that I had forgotten, mm-hmm. and and it, so it's, it's it's a great thing to have have your the previous seasons at your fingertips.
0: Uh, do you want to make any news and say one of them is uh, Jesse or Walt? <laughs> <laughs> that would take a long time to watch all the Jesse and
1: Walt scenes. Um, it, would, it would take a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, I would love to have uh, I would love to work with Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul again on the show. I'd love to see them as those. I, I feel like it took a little bit of the pressure off us. On that front uh that vince and and brian and aaron did the, that wonderful
0: el camino uh, el
1: camino mm-hmm. and 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 i i got to be there uh my family and i flew to albuquerque mm-hmm. uh we were actually i think the writers room was open for season five and uh i took a day i snuck out for a, a day and uh went and watched uh a day of shooting uh when brian was there uh, and to see him uh, as Walter White again
0: uh,
1: uh, and to see Aaron as, as young Jesse was just <laughs> uh, it was that was kind of magical
0: you know there's a i want to talk a little bit about the the cinematic style and the use of in the use of visuals to tell a story and that is a little bit of a i mean that the visual style of the show has evolved and it's also uh, that connective tissue with breaking bad has certainly evolved but before we leave the writers room you know, I think too often people think of cinematic as like production value, you know, it's like, and in reality, and there is, and that's just not to say the better call. Saul does not have, has some wonderful production value working with in some, especially working with some, in some limited means, but it, there's an element of actually telling the story visually, letting the visuals tell the story, letting a cut, tell the story. And that's not something that a director can, even the, It can just come in and just do. In some cases, the scripts have to be written that way. And I'm just curious about that in the writer's room. Obviously, you're talking character, you're you're all these things that we're talking about. But there's also an element I have to imagine that you've learned to write in a way that is going to allow which is kind of counterintuitive for TV. To to allow the visuals to tell a story, right? I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because I, am sure at this point it's second nature to you, but I don't know that it is second nature to a lot of people working in TV.
1: Well, that's a that's a great question. Uh, I, I, I think the truth is that we are uh, film geeks mm-hmm. in the writers' room. We love movies. Uh, we love old movies. We love new movies, and um, we're trying. We have this wonderful medium, which is uh, cinema. Uh, which is, you know, it's telling a story through the moving image. And so we're try, we are try to use this medium that we have as much as we can. So um, mostly we're using stylistic things to solve problems. It's usually about solving a problem. How do you express this? I mean, uh, there's uh, an example I, I'm really uh, proud of that it's in uh, one of Allison Tatlock's episodes, where uh, we had the the problem of, of showing uh, time passing and Jimmy and Kim growing apart, mm. uh, and so uh, we you know we kept talking in the writers. How do we show this? How do we what what is the what is the? And we talked about um, as I said we're film geeks. We talked about the breakfast scenes in uh, Citizen Kane, there's this, you know, in Citizen Kane, uh, you want to talk about basic film stuff, uh, there's, you know, there's that montage with, with Kane and his his first wife. And you see the table starts off very small. And by the time by the time the montage is over, uh, the table is very long, and she's reading a rival's newspaper. <laughs> and so we, we talked a lot of how how do you how do you How do you do that through behavior without dialogue? And what we came up with was the idea of doing a split screen and putting one character on one side and the other character on the other side, even when they were in the same environment, Mm -hmm. so that there was this line going down uh, the middle. And it was uh, incredibly time-consuming and difficult to do. And uh, Deborah Chow was the director of that episode, and she just knocked it out of the park. It was uh, edited by Skip McDonald. But the idea for doing it that way uh, mm-hmm. came in the writer's room because we're not just going to leave it up. We're not expecting, uh, well, also, if if we didn't know how, how to do it, um, you know, we'd have to come up with another way. Yeah. You know, we're not just leaving it. We're not just leaving it for somebody else to figure out. We have a scene uh, in a more simple level. We had a scene uh, we were working on the other day and, and we have this, uh, the beginning of this, there's the beginning of the scene and something happens. And then we're in the same location moments later And the scene has progressed. Now you can say, oh, that's somebody else's job to figure out how to get from one thing to the other. But I I don't really think it is. I think you should understand. And by the way, um, if the director or the editor uh, comes up with a better idea Mm -hmm. uh, than what we have on the page, I'm all for it. But oftentimes, uh, you know, we 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 have the luxury of having time to kick it around and struggle with it all together. And oftentimes, it turns out to be uh, just just right. And so we ended up finding a way to have a character on the A side uh, ask a question and have it answered in a very dynamic way on the b-side and have you know suddenly you're suddenly you've jumped ahead a few minutes and and you're not you haven't you haven't seen everything. So we we do we think about those things a lot and you know I uh, I I'm a, you know like you I'm sure too Chris, you know film aficionado uh, and I think the uh, the great thing about television now is that um uh, you know, you can use it as a visual medium, and it, it has been a visual medium for a long time. But of course, orig- television a, as a business uh, started with with radio. Mm-hmm. It's you know, radio was really broadcast, and then and then it became television. So so sound kind of led, uh, or dialogue kind of led. Originally, I think and we've you know, but I, I say that but I don't want to be too categorical because there's nothing more visual than like the twilight zone yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're just we're just copying our betters and trying to be uh, uh, Trying to tell the story in the most interesting way
0: um, You know, obviously Breaking Bad had when I think when people think of the, the visuals of Breaking Bad it had a distinct rhythm had a, had a pacing that maybe we weren't used to on, on TV and it had a very distinct sense of, of composition. Um, those are things that exist in Saul, but it's, but they're also stuff that has evolved in Saul. And I was wondering if you could talk, I mean, it, it obviously people can see that there's a connective tissue in terms of the creative force and the vision between these things in terms of the visuals. But it seems as if to a certain degree, um, that that pacing and that composition has kind of evolved in in, in an interesting way in this show, right? And yeah, absolutely. And I
1: think Breaking Bad evolved too. Mm-hmm. If you watch Breaking Bad closely, um, you know when Vince directed the pilot of Breaking Bad, he had in mind uh, the French Connection was mm-hmm. one of his touchstones. So Breaking Bad, if you were to go to the set on Breaking Bad you would see that the camera was almost never on sticks or mounted directly on a dolly. Even if it was on a dolly, instead of having a head between the camera and the dolly, it would be a sandbag there. Mm-hmm. And it kept the um, it kept the, the visuals, there was always a little bit of a float, not always, but most of the time, there's a little bit of a float to the, the compositions. Um, and on the other hand, and, and I remember for season one, uh, it was a, a rule. And not just a money rule, but a creative rule. No, you know, we're not going to use cranes. Mm-hmm. And then as, as the show went on, <laughs> you saw quite a bit of work with cranes. When when Vince and I started this show, um, we both wanted to do something uh, to define it as different for the audience because we already did Breaking Bad and and, and frankly... Well, Vince did Breaking Bad, and I helped. I, I among I among a lot of other people helped, but it it it, it was done, and I, I was so proud of being a part of that show, and and so proud of how it came out. But I I, I thought that we didn't want to start competing with ourselves yep. too much, and one of the things that we did was to just talk about well, what looks different about this show. And one of the things we said was we just went the opposite. I mean, it's the simplest thing in the world. We went the opposite way. It's if Breaking Bad is mostly handheld, maybe Saul is mostly not handheld. Maybe we're using a lot of bold static shots. Uh, maybe uh, and this is an idea that we used sometimes, but maybe not as much as we wanted to. Maybe we're using like Kubrick zooms because <laughs> you don't see a lot of zooms anymore. They were, for a long time, they were considered in bad taste. And we did a... Um, We took a lot of stills from different movies and made a kind of a look book. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was just all for inspiration, not, and and I wanna make it very clear, it's not about rules uh, or prescriptions. It's about like, isn't this, this is cool. This might feel like the show Mm -hmm. because that one of the tricks of this job is to inspire creativity in other people. And you don't necessarily get the most creative work out of of, a camera team of director photography and camera operators and uh, directors by saying, okay, we only move the camera like this. And now having said that, I know, I know there are shows where, and it works great where they say, well, we're never going to do a diagonal movement. We're only going to, we're only going to do a movement like this or that. And it gives the show a continuity but I'm more interested in a show where the look and the feel of the show is evolving. We're dealing with characters who are constantly changing and evolving. So my my hope is that we have a basic thing, which, by the way, you know, it's so much of the look of the show is set by the costumes and the production design that it's it's not just a matter of camera. Uh, but the, you know, what the hope is that you, each director comes in and brings their own eye to it. And you know, and when you get somebody, you know, like Michael Morris or Bromwyn Hughes uh, comes in, comes in and gets one of our scripts, they come back to us with things that I would have never thought of or expected. and that's that's really what I'm hoping for. Uh, but I'm, but as long as the the basic ground level thing is, are we telling the story? Mm-hmm. Are we telling the story visually? And are we telling the story in the most interesting possible way to tell this particular story?
0: I I have to imagine when you're talking about uh, those images that inspired and that kind of trying to figure out what that language of Saul is, it seems as if maybe uh, directors uh, working in wides uh, and maybe also uh, leaning even more into the landscape and the kind of interesting geometry of and building that into the into these wides of, of Albuquerque in this space. Oh, Oh yeah. I mean, we love, you know,
1: I, I like to put it in, in terms of uh, likes instead of rules, mm-hmm. but yeah, we love wide shots. And, and uh, one of the, the great things about, um, the way the show is edited is that you know, we will hang on on shots for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. maybe maybe some other folks would. Uh, we like we like holding performances um, in a few sh- not always, not as a not as a uh, uh, always always whatever's dramatically works best, but it's great to have a wide. It's great to see the environment, to see geography. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, we're shooting in Albuquerque. And if we get outdoors, boy, you wanna you wanna show that world out there. Having said that, you know it's the show is often about the law, yeah. Uh, and so there's a lot more, a lot of interiors. You know, we try to get as many as exteriors as we can, and as we're writing. But uh, you know, sometimes, but even in interiors, is hanging back sometimes is just is just a fascinating thing to do.
0: How much of this pacing in different sequences is dictated by character. Do Mike's scenes, does Mike's story have a, is, is how much of the cinema is, obviously Mike has a pace himself, and so therefore it's going to be that. But actually in terms of editing rhythms and the way you think about the scenes, do you think about them in a Mike way, in a Jimmy way? And in, in, in that way, this season is a little bit harder because they the stories start to merge a little bit and interweave a little bit. But for a while with Saul, their stories were separated in separate scenes. And I'm, I'm wondering how much of that, the characters drove the rhythm and the pacing of, of it.
1: Well, I, I like to think the characters always drive the, the rhythm and the pacing. And, and, you know, by the way, actors have different paces. You know, they just do. They just do. And, and you, you can see, and it's interesting because one of the things I'd observe about uh, Bob is that his pace has actually slowed down since we since we started, uh, you know there was a, 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 a he there was a, a rhythm to his work in the first couple of seasons that was that was very rat-a tat tat. And he's still the same character, but uh the thoughtful moments become more thoughtful uh, and and there's there's sometimes there's 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 a lot between the words uh, in the, in the later seasons. And I think it's because of where the character is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because of Bob's interpretation of the character has, is in some ways deepened. The character's deepened. Jimmy has. And then of course, uh, you know, Mike Ermintrout is Jonathan Banks and Jonathan Banks, uh, is not just a wonderful actor. He's also an actor who understands cinema acting. And I've talked to him about this. We've, we've, I've talked to him about this, and he's he's an actor. He's worked in the theater quite a bit. But he says, I love acting for the camera. Uh, and you, you, he understands what the camera is seeing. He understands what uh, a tiny extra beat in a moment will mean. He will find a rhythm in the scene that you're not expecting. He will find a place uh, of thought that maybe lands not exactly where you're expecting. And uh, so absolutely, that changes everything. It changes everything. And you can try, as a filmmaker, you can, there are tricks that we can do to, to change the pace of scenes, and we absolutely do those sometimes if we need them. Uh, there, you know, there's all kinds of, as your listeners all know, I'm sure, all it's very. Uh, there's all sorts of things that you can do to change the pace, but sometimes you want, the great thing about having an actor, uh, a really fine actor, is that they're bringing things that you're not expecting. Um, and that's, and that's absolutely, so I think, I think Mike's, Mike's scenes, yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it, it's, everybody handles these things. Each director, uh, will handle it differently, but there's also, you know, the crew stays the same. And so you're working with the same director photography, uh, and the same camera operators. And, you know, for the last few seasons, it's been Marshall Adams, uh, mm-hmm. as our DP and, and, and Paul Donickey is our, our, eight uh, camera operator and they have um they have a they have, a, they have a, a sense of the show that they can really uh add they are huge value added for any director uh they they find things that uh, that you're that you're not expecting and make make additions or interpretations that you're not expecting having said that i think each director has brought you know something different and what we try to do is learn from each one as 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 one of the directors i could tell you i've probably (laughs) stolen i've stolen ideas from pretty much every director (laughs) i've worked with as, as a writer as a producer
0: help me understand um and i don't know if this is related to the conversation we're currently having um or maybe it's not um another thing that was surprised by is um you don't edit with any it's got a wonderful music a wonderful music supervisor for the show but you're not editing with music you're not necessarily even editing with sound and then also uh Saul has a wonderful sound design um i i'm curious about that that because it, it seems to be um part of the decision of how the show is going to get made is that first you're just going to be cutting the footage
1: yeah i mean this is uh, and this goes back to how how Vince Vince started this on Breaking Bad, um, and I, we do, I will say, we do cut with sound, uh, and it, we have a, a really talented uh, assistant editors who are building building uh, versions of tracks for us. Oh, to so understand. you are and doing some course, sound,
0: there, there is some sound design oh, elements there, that you're cutting There is some so. sound design, oh, okay, absolutely, okay.
1: as we work, and, they, and they, the, the editors will always present. Their cuts with with some sound design, and it obviously gets deepened and it's much more complex when uh when our sound team gets involved. Uh, but we don't we don't cut generally to a temp track,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I think that is I, I I that's one thing I would say, um, is I I would be an evangelist for that for for everybody out there because if you can if your scene plays without music, uh, then. If it needs music, then the music is only going to make it better, uh, and, and so and, and cutting without without having you know having that having that uh, temp track really is a uh, it's a very powerful thing because we can watch the scene and know that it's either playing or not playing, and then Dave Porter will come in, and he we, I, I keep. I think we all do keep a completely open mind about whether a scene. There'll be times when I'm sure a scene needs music or has will have music, mm-hmm. and it doesn't. Uh, and then there are times when Dave says, "I think I, I think I should be in here," and he'll 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 write a piece that uh, that that just hits hits a note. And Dave is really his focus. I think not to speak for him is is uh, he's a filmmaker. He's not just about the music. He's trying to use the music. Uh, to 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 finish the ideas in the um the ideas that the the piece is trying to express uh, so yeah we we do cut we do cut with a, having said that we don't there are exceptions, and the ex- big exception is if there 's a montage mm. if there's a montage uh, we do cut those uh with uh, often with a uh, uh a piece of music that's that 's not the final one. Uh, and, and we will experiment with different pieces after, after we have a cut, but that's the, that's the one exception we don't, we don't ever do a temp score. And one thing I'd point out is that your assistant editors spend, and the editors too, when you're doing a temp, temp score, they spend a lot of their time on a temp score that your audience is never going to hear. Uh, when they could be spending that time um, working on the cut mm-hmm. that the audience will see, so my argument is that it's 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 really it's 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 a it's a good discipline. Now, having said that, the reason we're able to do that is that our uh, partners at the network and the studio are willing to look at it that way and know they they have the imagination and the filmmaking. Uh, savvy to know that when music's gonna come in and it's gonna, if we felt like, if, if we if we felt like we had to um, uh, bring them along gently,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: I think that's a lot of the time, that's the reason for the temp score is that people are are uh, scared.
0: You don't want to hear the this p- is a little things, flat or something.
1: <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> people is, the, the, this, that the, the piece is not, they're scared that the piece, yeah. the people can't look at it without it. But the other thing, the other problem with temp scores is that you get used to it, mm-hmm. and this is this is this becomes the problem for composers because then they they will come in with their own point of view, and all the other filmmakers, the director and the producers, have gotten so used to hearing the music hitting in a particular place and uh, in, in a particular way. That they will reject something that doesn't that doesn't correspond to that, uh, and I know this from talking to composers. I, I've talked not to a bunch. Of, Dave.
0: I, 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 I talked to a bunch of composers off the record, and they're always like, "If I hear that goddamn moonlight score again, and as a temp track, <laughs> you know, just that, well, just that, and, and it's a beautiful score, but just this idea that somehow that's going to play for this scene." <laughs> and just, yeah,
1: and, and you know, what? it's 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 the tricky thing. In a way, we, there was an advantage, and I'm old enough to remember film pretty well. There was an advantage to film, in that it looked—you could see there were splices, and there would be uh, there'd be marks where there were going to be dissolves, mm-hmm. and then it would—you know—there'd be there'd be, uh, a, 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 there'd be a, a little title that said "scene missing special effect." The thing about it is now we can—the um, avid output is really good, and mm-hmm. it can feel like you're watching. the final piece. But all of us as filmmakers always have to have that extra little bit of... imagination to try to think about what it's going to be like with that extra, with that one more piece in there. And that's um, that's something, it's a muscle that I think not only, you know, directors and editors and producers need, but also studio executives need need that. And, and uh, network executives need to have that little bit of understanding and imagination. I, I'm glad to say that the folks that we work with uh you know they've they 've really been tremendous about uh watching our cuts without without music.
0: How much of this is also allow- that was a rant no 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 how much of this also allows um you with your music supervisor um to also do something a little bit different with music, a little unconventional? sometimes these choices are um unexpected and add something unexpected rather than just a simple you know, chug, chug the scene along uh, yeah. type of music cue. There's, um, I, I'm thinking of a few things come to mind. One is you jump genres in terms of music. You often jump periods in terms of music. Um, there's a timelessness to to the use of music. And sometimes it's also, um, as I said, a little bit counter or unexpected to maybe what's being said visually. It's like, I'm wondering how much of that is also, the ability to come in and, and and work with music on a on a cut scene
1: absolutely. I mean you know there's there's uh, Thomas Golubovic, who is our music supervisor, is a twisted genius, and he will give us a lot of options and there will be time, one one scene that comes to mind right away is uh, uh, in an early episode in season five, we have a sequence which is uh all about ants. There's a Jimmy in the previous episode has dropped an ice cream uh, cone. Yes, yes, and yes, we, yes. And we open we open episode three, and it's what happened to the ice cream cone after he dropped it, and uh, it's a story of of, uh, of of an ant discovering an ice cream cone and what happens, and, and um, we cut this. I, I was pretty sure there wasn't going to be music in there, and so we cut this, and it was uh, uh, this was cut by Chris Mcaleb. Uh, and, and his assistant editor, Joey Lou, who, who used to be uh, my, my assistant on, on uh, early seasons of uh, A Better Call Saul and then left us because he wanted to go into post and is now back as an assistant editor, which is an, a great success story in my book. And Joey cut in, um, and I think in the final mix, we might even use some of Joey's tracks. Uh, he cut uh, sounds of the, of the ants, and what the what the, the sounds that they were. He used real insect noises. And then that was, of course, in the final mix, you know, added to and, and expanded and deepened by uh, Nick Forshager and our whole amazing sound team. Uh, but we watched this thing and it was creepy and it was great and I loved it. And then we were spotting it and Thomas said, I wanna see if I can get in here. And I was, if if at the beginning when I started this, I probably would have said, I just don't think so, Thomas. You don't need to work, work in any. but I've learned to keep my mouth shut and say, don't deprive me of any riches. And Thomas came back, you know, he as he will, he will send, uh, you know, maybe 10 or 12 pitches to some of these scenes. And we went through them one by one. And I, I, I'm sitting there absolutely certain that that none of that none of these is going to land in the episode, but I have to he sent them, I have to watch them, and then suddenly there was a yodelling
0: Swiss <laughs> yodelling
1: over ants and God damn it if it wasn't the perfect thing if it wasn't the perfect thing, it did, didn't mm-hmm. get if it didn't get into um uh how strangely uh heroic and um nostalgic and it just hit all sorts of notes. Uh, with this scene that I wasn't expecting, uh, but that were perfect, I thought, uh, and, and uh, we we put that yodeling on, and we actually I think in the mix we added a little bit of slap to it, a little bit of echo, mm-hmm. which I think even even helped it, uh, really landed it for me, uh, and it was it just tremendous, and it's that's the fun one of the fun things about, you know, on set you don't really get a chance to experiment this way, mm-hmm. but in post. One of the great things, one of the things I love about post production is that you can take some crazy idea and just try it. And you know what? Every once in a while, the craziest ideas do do land and work.
0: I want to, before I let you go. I want to talk about one one moment um, from. I can't remember. I guess I can't remember if it was the episode that you directed the last one, but it's towards the end, um, because I, I want to get into this issue of um, our relationship to these characters. You know, there's this moment with Kim uh, when she pitches Jimmy on the idea of um, bringing down Howard, you know, and bringing down JMM. You know, Kim has uh, excused upon broke bad before. You know, there is this element that she's gone on the gray side, but it's 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 interesting because normally my my relationship with her has always been, I understand, it's empathy for Jimmy. It is a sense of justice. It is a sense of whatever she's doing, I you there is this connection with her, no matter you know, no matter how bad or you know, fudging the line she got. And this one, and I have to imagine it was intentional. I'm sitting there going, uh oh, what's going? On? You know, it's like this kind of like this like it's this. <laughs> uh-huh. kind of, you're sitting there, and you're like, when did she? It's like this like uh oh, because you don't. You're not there with her. You're not there. Like it wasn't in the back of our heads that we had to go plot against Howard. You know, and 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 it seems it, it, it's an interesting thing. And I, it's it, and I one of the reasons I bring this up is is you know. In the backstory here is is that element of that, of that thing that we all had with Walter White, and I'm not trying to say Kelly's Walter White, and I'm not trying to say get you to say he's Walter White, but there was that element where like we were used to identifying with a Walter White type character, and then there became this part where, you know, I think it was different for each audience member where it was like, whoa, what's going on? And it's interesting because it had to have been a very conscious decision to to have that type of moment with her. And it's interesting in the context of the series of what you do with, with these main characters.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's completely evolutionary. Uh, and, and, uh, it's, it, you know, it is her, our relation. We love Kim Wexler. We love, I mean, we love Ray Seahorn too. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm so proud of Kim as a character. And I think Ray is, is just an incredible actress. And, uh, the fact that she's not—we don't know what her fate is. You know, Jimmy, we know becomes Saul Goodman, and then we know he eventually becomes Gene in Omaha, Nebraska. But but Kim's fate is is um, is still to be written. We don't. We do, we just don't know what's going to happen to her. And in some ways, I think I've become very invested. In her, uh, she's somebody who who has worked so hard to get everything that she wants or everything that she needs and and to get where she is. and she's she's uh, somebody who's who's got a uh, in her own way incredible integrity uh, and and uh, but there's something about this relationship with Jimmy um, that maybe is evoking is bringing something to the fore that was always there. Uh there are there are, you know, we talk about um puzzles that we have about the past. And uh one of the things that we know about her is that uh she was in a mailroom. Uh she was in the mail room before she became an attorney, mm-hmm. and that she seemed to have gotten it she was in the mailroom at a law firm uh, you know, probably in her thirties. So what happened? What happened? And she's given little clues about her 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 backstory. It feels like there's there's more to be said about where Kim comes from. But more than that, I'm just interested in her behavior. And and you can you can watch that scene. And she has a, a number of you could say there are a number of re- ways to look at that scene when she says what she says. I mean, there's certainly the literal version, which is that Jimmy is owed owed this money. And that and that they can do a lot of good with it, uh, but there seems to be other things going on too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you watch, uh, I'm really proud of uh, especially the last 15 or 20 minutes of that episode. I think there are some clues uh, to how we were thinking of what Kim does and what what her what her uh, what's going on with her. There's some clues there that if you look closely, I, I think Bob and Ray played the scenes so beautifully that it's actually, there are things that I was worried were kind of obscure are actually, to me, uh, crystal clear. But she's a, um, you know, it's, inter- it's a call question about identifying with someone. And we have this relationship with characters where sometimes you, you understand completely what they're doing. And then sometimes there's a little gap and you have to do some work and think about what, why did he mm-hmm. do that? Why did she do that? Uh, and, you know, it's interesting to compare, you know, to talk about Walter White. Uh, Walter White had a story that he told uh, that was the story I bought at the beginning of Breaking Bad, you know, and mm. his story at the beginning of Breaking Bad was, I'm doing this, I need to leave money for my family. Yep. And he said that over and over again. And then uh, we had an episode. It, I remember this, this is a transformational moment for me. And uh, as as a writer, we had an episode... And I saw it coming. I saw the problem, what I thought was the problem, very early. We we sat and found out he had these rich friends, and they were going to a party, and they felt—Walt uh, and Schuyler felt very insecure around these, these wealthy people. And I started feeling very uneasy as we were pitching this out mm-hmm. because I knew what would happen if they found out he had cancer. And so I started arguing, maybe well, maybe we shouldn't do this or that. And the thing that I was worried about was that they're going to offer— to pay for his cancer treatment. And they did, and Walt turned them down. And why would he do that? It clearly, what he was doing was not, he wasn't doing what he was doing just for the reasons that he said. And I think that was, a, that was an interesting moment, was when the moment we realized that we were making a show about the ego of Walter White. Mm-hmm. We weren't making a show about a guy who was a victim of circumstances. Uh, and I think this show too, these characters are captains of their own ship uh they make their own trouble and kim is definitely making a lot of trouble for herself
0: is there an element and i could say that i'm saying this as a viewer um and i don't know if i'm just carrying my own baggage in into my viewing uh but i'm wondering if it's something that you take into account in the writer's room a sense of fatalism with these characters in that sense that you know I don't know, I guess maybe Kim is in the background somewhere in Breaking Bad, but one gets the sense that they're not... You know, we've watched Saul for a while without Kim, and that, you know, she hasn't moved forward. And also just a sense of, obviously, we know where where Saul himself goes. Um, In that, it, 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 it could be a wonderful thing. I mean, crime movies have been doing this forever, with a sense of fatalism and where it's going. But is that something... It's something I feel as a I bring in when I watch your show. I'm wondering if it's something that you take into account and the writers' room takes into account in in writing it.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think there is something uh, sad, but I, I, that's it's you know it's the, the particular flavor of the show where we can go from something very silly or or almost borderline ridiculous to something very serious or fatal. Um, and it, it is, it is sad. There's a context to it where you feel that, um uh, the more joyful the characters get, the more you're a little bit worried for them. Um, and you know, in this, you know, in the case of the end of this season, of course, you know, all, everything they're doing and thinking is, um, with the assumption that Lala Salamanca is out of their lives forever, yeah. And uh, we're finding out that that's not necessarily the case. So I, you know, I think there is a, you know, I, 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 I just, we certainly didn't invent it. You know, mm-hmm. I think it goes back, it goes back to every kind of drama that's ever been. Uh, there is a fascination to watching watching uh, bad things happen. Um, I remember, uh, you know, I used to watch, Break- my wife didn't watch the episodes of Breaking Bad before they aired and we'd sit on the couch mm-hmm. together and she'd go oh no Walt no Walt <laughs> don't do it and and i think there is there is that where you um what you what you want to avoid what you hope you don't have is is people saying why would she do that that makes no sense right. i don't like that that makes no sense but if you if you understand the character well enough and you love the character enough to know and you're watching them make a terrible decision uh, there's something you know. It's it's it's. I think it's human nature. There's a fascination with that. Well, the emphasis, and, the, the you know, emphasis a lot of, makes you ask a lot why.
0: Of oh, I'm sorry. The emphasis yeah, makes you lot... ask why instead of instead. Of, you know, if you kind of if you kind of know where they're headed to a certain degree, it, it, you know, it's not mm-hmm. going to be it's not going to be wine and roses and and Kim and Saul forever. You know, living they don't figure it all out it, it, it when these things happen your your mind goes to the why and it's an interesting way as a viewer to go like what you know that now now for example the whole backstory with the brother that we now know it's like the it's it becomes this fuller understanding of character and where the audience goes when you do have that element yeah i mean I, you know it's
1: hanging over not to get i'm, I'm gonna be about to be a real downer but uh you know is we're all gonna die um you know, there's a, there's a, that's, that's, that's something that, that we're all trying to deal with our mortality and, and what, 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 what it all means and how do you live, how do you live a life? And uh, sometimes, maybe in some ways, these, you know, telling a story where you feel things are going to go badly. Uh maybe there's there's maybe there's there's that's part of the fascination with it because I I but you know I, I don't know. It's 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 a hard it's a hard thing to say. There are a lot people who are a lot smarter than me mm-hmm. have thought about this. Uh, all I know is that uh I'm fascinated not just by what happens but by how things happen. And so sometimes knowing where that's that we go to some place uh that's kind of hard to picture. Uh, I'm fascinated to see how we get there. And, and process is interesting.
0: Last thing before I let you go here. I want to read you something that you said in an interview. I, I think it was um, a little uh-huh. while ago, but I just, I'm curious about it. Uh, how it ends. I would say we didn't have much of an idea either. For the first four seasons, it was very foggy. During the breaking of season five, the fog started to lift. We started to see where it ends. And I have to say, none of it is where I expected when we started. Okay, I, just to be clear, I am not looking for <laughs> the where it ends. But I'm curious about when the fog lifts, is it? story or is it the sense of a, a character in these things that we were talking about I, i'm wondering the fog lifting just based on i'm because i'm mostly interested about the process of how this is told and going linear you know is it is it like envisioning an, an, an end or is it a sense of you know, I know how to land this character, or I know how to land this element. Or I, I'm just curious, and I'm mostly, once again, not trying to tease out like where this is going, and more just based on your the way that these stories have been told. I, I'm curious about, you know, what that looks like.
1: Well, in, in this particular case, it, it's, you know, sometimes it's an image mm-hmm. or uh, an image, and you say, and we say if that image feels good. Why does that image feel? Why does that feel good? And you know, a lot of the time, I think what we're uh, hoping for. A lot of the complaints about stories are moral complaints. The characters aren't getting what they deserve. If you if you, if you think about if you think about shows that people have had a, a big problem with, sometimes it feels like the uh, the moral structure of the show somehow changed. Uh, changed and, and people got an undeserved happy ending or something. And I, I don't really know, I'm looking at life, you see that people get all kinds of things that they don't necessarily deserve. But that tells me is that, that there's a desire. Uh, we love in shapely fiction, we love um, a feeling uh, that there's a that there's a uh, a structure to 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 more mor- the moral universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to say that. I, we like to think. I'm, maybe there's a better way to put it. You know, this, we like to think that the bad guys the bad guys lose and the good guys win. Mm-hmm. Um, but which is great, and I, and I I'm all for it. Uh, it although there's all kinds of winning and there's all kinds of losing, and there's there's all kinds of bad guys and there's all kinds of good guys. Uh, and, and and it gets more complicated. It gets more complicated at a certain point. But I think that's, that's a lot of what we think about is, is, you know, what, what does this character deserve? What haven't we seen before? What is, um, what would be a just, uh, what, what is the just desserts for this person? And do they get it or do they not get it? And, and, and how, and, and, and so that you start thinking, you start thinking in, in very, uh, I don't know it sounds kind of cosmic, but I don't really think it is because I th- I think you know they found even you know even even uh, you know even even dogs and cats get mad if if one of them gets a treat that the other one doesn't I think that there's there's a I think we all have kind of a sense of a, a moral structure for the world uh, we don't always agree on what it is. But I think that's that's a lot. It's it's funny how much of fiction is really about that, mm-hmm. and and you know you you know people come up with all kinds of theories about how you uh, how you tell a story, uh, but I think that's a big, at least to my eye, that's a big part of it is that um, is, is 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 you're trying to tell this is is this this is maybe this is how the world works, maybe this is how the world mm-hmm. should work, um, and what makes an ending feel good.
0: And so there was uh, something. You know, to be to clear though, there's something. There was an image that you had that yeah, and you analyzed. Yeah. Why that felt good in these terms? Yeah,
1: that's that, we do that all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's like you have an image or you have a thought, and you say, "Well, is that? Does that make sense?" I, I, I This sounds. This is way too heady. Mm-hmm. We're not really that heady in the writers <laughs> room. You know, when we talk about what it, what's a great what's, and I think I'll ask you what what's a movie that ends. What's a great ending for a movie? What's, what's one of your favorite endings for a movie? Now, let's, not talk, let's leave TV shows out of it yeah. for a moment.
0: Uh, and to Chinatown. Chinatown,
1: great. Oh, man, what a great ending. What a great ending. And boy, that, have, you, have you read the book, uh, that, that, re- book that just came no, out? No, the Sam Wasson. I've uh, not read it yet, no. The Sam Wasson book, it's, it's tremendous. And you see how hard won that ending was. It is a great ending. Um, and it expresses completely the movie's view of 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 reality uh and it's earned it's earned i mean i love that ending i love the ending i mean you talk we would just go through you know the ending of uh you know the ending of the graduate Mm -hmm. that's a great ending uh the ending of uh the ending of ferris bueller is a (laughs) great ending um you know you just i i think it's um it's interesting because you have to. It's a. It's a. It's a tough thing, on a TV show especially. It's a tough thing to stick that landing, um, and how you know, boy, I. I, I don't know. We're going to try like hell. Mm. But the truth is that having done Breaking Bad doesn't help us at all because <laughs> Breaking Bad, I, I, to me, Breaking Bad stuck the landing. I, I, I mm-hmm. think I'm so proud of the way that ended. But this character in this show is so different from that, mm. that uh, I, I, I don't know that I think we're going to have to think of a new way to do it. And uh, I think we're getting closer. But uh, we'll see We'll see You. We'll, 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 let's talk Let's talk After we get to shoot And air the season And then you can tell me I want to know how. What
0: that image is I'm going to come back And find out What that image was Okay <laughs> Well thank you for coming on This is You're very generous To your time This is wonderful Oh it's a pleasure Chris Congrats on the show And today's podcast Was brought to you By the Apple TV Plus Original documentary Beastie Boys Story For your Emmy consideration In all eligible categories Including outstanding documentary Or non-fiction special